Hey everyone, this is Rosalina. And this is Shauna. And we're your hosts for Too Young for This Shit podcast. This podcast is not just about boobs, but our journey with cancer. We are young millennials open about giving you our raw and unfiltered look into our lives. We are in no way medical professionals, nor are we offering medical advice. Any medical references are cited directly from public websites or from our personal diagnosis. Some topics and stories may be triggering to those who are fighting, have fought, or have loved someone with cancer. Hi guys, welcome back to the Young for the Shit podcast. <laughs> um, today you're going to hear my story, this is Shauna, um, my story on how I found out I had breast cancer and kind of my steps through um, finding out about my diagnosis. And uh, this is going to be a two-part episode, so I'm going to go first and Rosalina will be the next episode. So um, I found out... Well, and I found out I found a lump in the shower in March of 2020. Uh, this was the week New York shut down <laughs> and I was in the shower and it was a large, large lump in my right breast. And I like totally panicked and immediately made an appointment for my gynecologist, got to see her um, the next, no. I think it was the same day. When you found that lump, did you automatically know that it was cancerous? The crazy part was is that it literally came like up overnight. Like and it was large. Like I Yeah. I didn't know what it was. I went to work the next day and I had um a friend like a nanny friend of mine kind of like feel it because I was like, do you feel this too? Like I, I did, I wasn't sure what it was. I, I don't think I immediately was like, it's cancer, mm-hmm. but it was definitely like, I was immediate, like I need to go get a breast exam, like immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So I, and I was due to go see the gyno around okay. that time anyway. Yeah. So it, it did work out. Um, so I ended up going to the gynecologist and she felt it and she really dismissed yeah. it. She told me that um, it would have felt more like a pea size, that this was too large, that this feels like fatty tissue. She wasn't concerned. And she wrote me a script for a sonogram just to go check it out. But it was more for like the peace of mind, not not to rule out cancer. Um, so that was Wednesday. And then Friday was my last day at work because that was the beginning of the pandemic. And New York shut down and my boss is quarantined and I was staying at home. And um, for those that weren't in New York, uh, the peak of COVID, it was a very, very scary time. Like you weren't leaving your houses. You, I mean, you would go to the grocery store and you'd go home. And that was like about as, you know, as much as like you wanted to be out anyways. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I was, you know, like really panicked and nobody, you know, I didn't, last thing I thought like, was a good idea was going to a doctor's office really, you know, in the beginning of the spread of the virus. And I kind of was like, you know, she didn't seem concerned and, you know, I'll wait till this is done. You know, everyone assumed it was going to be two weeks. And, you know, I, uh, you know, just assumed, I mean, I just said like, you know, I'll revisit this once the pandemic's over. So essentially she had to wait because she thought that 
the pandemic was just going to last for two weeks. She just wrote me a referral, like, and I had to make the appointment on my own. Uh, Yeah, so I had left, and then I think I had an I had an appointment for the following week, but I canceled it because of like the pandemic and everybody yeah, like, like what was going exactly. on. Exactly. And they didn't cancel the appointment. I canceled it. So it was definitely like my bad. But um, you know, my like I like I said, my initial reaction was I'm gonna revisit this once, you know, two weeks when everything opens back up again, we'll revisit this. And mm-hmm. you know, it lasted months and you know, I just kind of was like She's not concerned. I'm not concerned, you know, so I was fine. Uh, I had like a very normal summer and, you know, I like with, you know, was still not, I was still out of work, like, because of the pandemic. And then I, we come September, I ended up getting a new job and Mm -hmm. just kind of was feeling great. Like I felt I, there was no side effects other than my lump that like even made me feel like something else was going on. Um, I was like, I felt like probably the best I've felt in a really long time. I was super energetic, right. like in a really good place health wise. And, you know, just in my life that I just didn't think anything was wrong and started a new job in September was like super busy with that. And mm-hmm. it was probably right. Actually it was right before Christmas where I was at, I just got out of the shower and I was getting dressed and I caught a glimpse of my breast in the mirror. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? My whole right breast was complete. Like, it changed. Yeah. Like, it was my nipple was um, like almost a little like inverted. I had dimpling, my like skin discoloration, um, and it was bigger. Any rippling? Yeah, rippling. Yep, rippling skin color. My nipple shape was different. Um, and my, you know, when I was feeling it, my breath, like the lump was bigger than it was in March. When you felt it. Yeah. Um, and I immediately called my gynecologist and, you know, I was like, I need, I need a sonogram and a mammogram. Like there's something going on. And at that point I kind of was like, had gotten on Google and oh another one of my other symptoms was I um I was having like a a discharge like in my not a discharge um but like stains in my bra from some sort of something so I was like what are the spots Mm -hmm. and like I started to really notice it you know like once I saw it 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 was happening daily and um So I called, I said, you know, I need a mammogram. And it was, of course, right bef- the week before Christmas. So my gynecologist was like, I'm out of the office until, uh, what was it, January 2nd or whatever it was. And I was like, all right, well, I, you know, I can, I can get this done and then freak out then and not be able to talk to her for a couple of weeks or just wait till the week she's back and go. So I ended up making an appointment for the sonogram and mammogram. And I got there and I did the mammogram first. Was that in December? Yeah, I waited for my doctor. So, yep, January 2021, like first week. I think it was January 5th I went. And uh, my doctor is affiliated with the radiologist's office. So she would be able to get my results immediately. That was their first appointment the week my doctor, my gynecologist was back. So I went. And so I, I first had the mammogram part, which like nobody prepared me for how painful a mammogram was. Yeah, no one does. Like, you know, because the mammogram, you get that when you're 40. So who would tell you these things when you're younger? <laughs> I, no, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, like I heard people say it's uncomfortable and like, you know, whatever. But like it was, I mean, granted, 
my my tumor was the size of a golf ball at that point mm-hmm. and it was they did like two slides on my non-cancer breast which was like just two squeezes and it was fine but they did it like eight or nine times on my cancer side mm-hmm. and <laughs> It was like by the last one, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I was like yelled at the the technician. I was like, I'm done. No more. No more. And she's like, okay, okay. She's like, you did great. You did great. And I'm like, I, I, I mean, it was painful. And I was in pain for days after. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like my, it was just so, they squeezed too much. It was too much. <laughs> but uh, from there, I was like brought into a room for the sonogram part. And I had a tech who she was very quiet the entire time, very quiet. And then she left the room and brought back a doctor. During the time when you had the sonogram and she was putting the gel on you and like looking through to see if there's anything, um, were you able to see the screen of what she was looking at? Yes, I was watching the screen the whole time. Um, She was doing a ton of measuring. I knew there was something that they had to measure, but she did a ton of measurements. She was, she was just quiet the whole time and I just kind of watched and I had my mask on um, and then she left the room and brought a doctor in and the doctor got on and she starts measuring and she looked at me and she was like, all right, well, um, I'm, I'm, she's like, I'm not trying to scare you, but I, you know, I'm going to use the C word. This really does look like it's cancer. Um, and I started to cry immediately. <laughs> um, I, I think I ultimately knew come December I ultimately knew it was bad after I once got on like I got on Google and I had every symptom and every not you know like what to look for I had all the signs I you know and so I kind of went in there like knowing that or just I think I think I knew uh, ultimately what it was and um you know I even said to myself like once I saw it and I, I I said to even my boyfriend like if this is something bad like you know I kind of like already know how I want to handle it. Yeah, you like know? your gut like feeling. I, you know, I already knew I would okay. do a double mastectomy. I already like kind of in the back of my mind, like I had made all the decisions had this diagnosis been what it was, which was breast cancer. So, you know, I, I, but once she said it, I, I did get very, very upset <laughs> and I cried. Um, it was confirmed that it was, right? It wasn't, it wasn't fully confirmed. Well, she said based on what it looked like mm-hmm. to her, it was, but we would still need to do a biopsy. So I didn't get to do the biopsy that day. Schedule I had to um, yeah. go in the following. Yeah. Schedule another appointment for the following week. But I like walked out of that appointment in tears, hysterical. My boyfriend had picked me up outside and, you know, I lost it in the car and was like super upset for a few days. And then um, I think that was like a Thursday, or Monday. No, it was a, yeah, I think a Wednesday or a Thursday. By Monday, okay. I had my biopsy, which, yeah, which was not as bad as what I imagined it was going to be. Did they explain to you what the biopsy entails? Did they, like, give you a general sense of what that was? Um, So they said it would be a needle that goes in and they take out tissue, but I would be numb. Um, mm-hmm. I have, uh, also a, a friend who has had a few biopsies done, um, oh, cool. an older okay. friend. So yeah. So you had, um, some knowledge yes. basically from what they had. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she, you know, I, I kind of was like, is this really, does it hurt? Is it bad? Like, what do I expect? And 
she was like, honestly, no, it's really not that bad. So I kind of went in there really calm and mm-hmm. uh, my radiologist was so sweet and very gentle and, you know, really kind of made me feel comfortable throughout the entire yeah. time. And um, that's really nice. Yeah, it was really nice. And um, so that was a Monday by Thursday. They had called me and I was at work and I didn't want to get upset at work. And I think I had already wrapped my head around the fact that this was what it was and I just needed the confirmation. So they had called me and, you know, they told me it was um, invasive ductal carcinoma. Uh, They had to wait um, to give me my, and it was estrogen progesterone positive and they had to wait to get my HER2 status. So that part was so annoying because it took, almost three weeks from the day of my biopsy to get that, um, what is it? A fish test it's called to confirm whether or not I had, I guess the test that they had done, it was like too close to like tell via the, the biopsy. They needed to run like a separate Mm -hmm. test. So that took three weeks. So it was very hard to, um, I ended up seeing a breast surgeon in that time and they, their office was like on the, the pathologist to like try to get that her two status because we couldn't make any plans until we had gotten that. But I, you know, in that time, did you schedule your breast surgeon at like a different clinic or was it on the same clinic? No, I ended up um, just doing some research uh, and then, okay, yeah, um, based off of like what my like where my insurance would be, would be covered. Would cover. Yeah. yeah. So um, I ended up going for two opinions, but I ended up finding them both just um, basically online. And mm-hmm. I called um, – so, yeah, so the breast surgeon I ended up seeing, her office was amazing, and they – that's my – that's the breast surgeon I ended up choosing. But their office really got on the pathology um, – the pathologist in the office and got my results, and I was her two negative, and then – from there, we were able to start planning out my plan of attack. Yeah. So, like, let's take a pause here. So, where was your mindset throughout this whole journey? Like, especially since you had to wait three weeks for that result of the HER2, whether you're HER2 positive or negative. Like, what was your mindset there? So my mindset in that time, well, I mean, I was just so annoyed. Like I had really cried the day of the um, mammogram and sonogram. So like, I kind of felt like I got that, all that type of emotion out when they had called me to tell me it was breast cancer. I was not as shocked. Like it wasn't a shock to me. So I like, I didn't cry and I didn't, you know, I was kind of like, all right, what's next? Yeah. Um, and from there, they told me to find a breast surgeon. And I said, okay. my So at that point that I saw a breast surgeon and my results still weren't in. But I was in that time, you know, we had talked about um, steps before, like things that I could do before even getting that result. Like we talked about doing, um, like freezing my eggs. And yeah, so in that time, I was. Wow, that was really early on. Yeah, so they basically kind of gave me that information and um, that they ended up finding me, uh, my fertility doctor, which was great too. 
So I had started meeting with them to try to get that going. But I was just like, I was so annoyed that these results were taking so long because I couldn't figure out the plan of attack as far as treatment and surgery was going to go. So um, like, I, I just kept getting in this mode of being like, okay, what's next? What can I do next? Let's get the ball rolling on this. Let's get the ball rolling on that. Like, I think just always having like the what's next and then getting that step done always was like so good for me in a weird way. Like it kind of kept me just sane. Yeah. In a weird way. Like, um, so yeah, it was, my mindset was basically like, what's, what can I do next? Like where, what's going to happen next? Like, okay, this is going to, you know, let's do this, then do that. And so that was really where my mindset was. Finding also a doctor um, and a hospital that I wanted to to get my treatment or and my surgery at. Like I was basically finding second opinions and trying to see who and like wh- where would I be a good fit, really. How did you choose your clinic? Like what were the criteria that you were looking for? So um, I ended up meeting with two um two breast surgeons from two separate hospitals Mm -hmm. so um i met with one from nyu who Mm -hmm. was she was great i mean i really liked her and she kind of was in this like i had a lot of questions about like cosmetic stuff you know and my this that particular breast surgeon was like kind of more of like my job is to get in there, take it out. Like we're trying to save your life. You know, like the cosmetic stuff really kind of comes after, which for a young woman, I'm, you know, 32, the cosmetic thing is a huge, important part in this. You know, I want to make sure that my reconstruction is the best it can be. I want to make sure that after this is over that, like, I feel confident in my body and in my skin. Like I, you know, that was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't have like the bedside manner. She wasn't like overly like soft. Like she wasn't overly like comforting and she didn't coddle me. She didn't, you know, she was kind of like, she gave me the facts and gave me the information just like straight and to the point as possible, which was, which was fine. I didn't need her to be that person for me, which like, you know, I thought maybe I would, but I really didn't need her to be that person for me. I had other support from like my family and my friends. So I was like, I was okay with it. Then I met with another woman who actually was a friend of my former employer. Their kids go to school together. And um, I met with her and I loved her. I actually really loved her. Um, But the hospital was like, we had gotten there. The hospital was like under construction, like the, the floor they were on was like, a, it's a, basically a construction zone. We got off the elevator and there was like the plastic, you know, the plastic like tarps that were like covering like portions of it. And I was like, I didn't even know if we were on the right floor when I got off. Like it was kind of like that. Yeah. You know, and then we also waited an hour, like 15 minutes in one of the, the rooms, to like be seen. And I was kind of like, I just had an appointment at NYU and literally went from like the elevator into right into an exam room and was seen like it was just like you know quick and easy and then I'm like 
Now I'm at this hospital. I'm getting off in a construction zone, waiting an hour and 15 minutes in this office. But I loved the breast surgeon. She was young. Like she really like stressed, you know, like we want to make these look as good as possible while also getting like clean margins. And, you know, I I felt like she was like she was a little bit more on my level as far as like what I would want want them to look like and how I'd want it to be done and whatever. Like she was really kind of like more with it for me. Yeah. She had like more, uh, what is it? Like she was giving you like more information about like the reconstruction where the NYU breast surgeon wasn't really kind of giving you that. She was just basically saying like, my job is just to take out right the cancer and that's it exactly so yeah okay I got a really good like feeling from the bre- the breast surgeon at um was at Mount Sinai but Mount Sinai at that time was it's just like the the facility wasn't doing it for me and the waiting wasn't doing it for me I don't want to be in a you know and this is again this was January it was cold and I'm in this like room for an hour and 15 minutes in you know the gown just like waiting for somebody to come in and touch my boobs. Like, you know, it was really, I don't know, like that experience wasn't great. And um, I think it's, I think it's important to choose a clinic where you'll be able to get appointments fast, but also, you know, when you're at your appointment, you're not waiting so long as well, because you're going to be at the hospital like so many times. So I think that, you're you're not wrong in choosing like a clinic based off of like where you could see be seen the quickest. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And um NYU for me, they just like they made all my appointments. They found doctors that took my insurance through their network and like I mean, they just made the entire experience like easy and seamless and there's like never a wait time. You go right in, everything is organized there like app to make appointments, change appointments, check in, test results, everything is just like amazing. And like I grew up mm-hmm. um in a small town on Long Island where you know, we all, everyone I know went to the same pediatrician, you know, and it was in this man's house and you know like it you know everyone was private practice and I've never experienced like a network like a hospital network like this before. And I'm like, I felt yeah. like at 32 years old that, and I've always had health insurance. Like this isn't even like, I feel like I'm fine. I'm experiencing like the most amazing healthcare right now at 32 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I like, I can't even like my experience there has been so amazing. Um, And you know, I also in this time of like when I was waiting for, um, my biopsy results to come back. I had spoken to another friend of my former employer who was a radiology oncologist. I talked to her on the phone for probably like two hours. She answered like every single one of the questions I had and she was great. Like, you know, I, before even getting my results, you know, I had asked like, what's my, what's the best case scenario? Like cancer. Like I was legitimately like, that is the most insane thing I've ever had to ask. Like, yeah. You know, like if I'm good, you know, but it's true. If I'm going to have this, That's like a good what question would to be ask. Yep. the best case? And she said, um, ERPR positive, HER2 negative. And like, thank God that was my case because that gave me like a little bit of peace of mind as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And she, you know, I originally wanted to go to Sloan Kettering in New York, which is like a real 
name brand in breast cancer. When I looked at like the top cancer like facilities, that was basically like number two (laughs) in the whole country. No, it's amazing. Yeah, I have like a couple of friends, mothers who went there and had amazing experiences. Um, I know a girl that works there herself and has, you know, loves it, loves it there. And so my insurance wasn't covered at Sloan, but I had talked to her and she did resident, her residency at uh, Sloan and at NYU. And she had told me, um, you know, she's like, if, if your cancer is a cancer that has been treated a million and one times, you're going to get the same care you would at Sloan at Mm -hmm. NYU or at Mount Sinai. And honestly, you're going to get an appointment way faster. And I was like, okay, that made me feel like a little bit better because I was like, do I change my insurance to try to get in here? Like, is this, is this the place that I need to be? Is this like the best care that I'm ever going to receive in, in, in this journey? And she, she really like was like, I just, I wouldn't change your health insurance. Like go, you know, like wait till you get your results. And go from there. But if you have a cancer that's very rare or you have a cancer that they're doing any type of trial over, she's like Sloan will, you know, they're all the doctors, they all talk to each other in this. And, um, you know, if, if you, they, if you have something they want, you'll get care there and there it's covered. Yeah. I think so, that's, that's really good know. advice because if, you know, you're triple negative or I think like you're, when you're triple positive, that could be like a little um, I, I don't know what the word is, but it's, I guess it's not as common as if you're like ER, PR positive or HER2 positive. Um, so yeah, that's, that's actually a good thing that she like talked to you about. Yes. So an- another thing too, which, um, kind of as a positive in this breast kit, like in this journey was, um, I was able to get the full, a full genetics test done. Mm-hmm. Um, a genetic panel because that rules out whether or not you carry the BRCA gene or not, BRCA1 or BRCA2. Yeah, so let's um kind of explain to the audience if they don't know what that means, like what is being BRCA1 or BRCA2 um, in your gene is, like, like what is that? So that is, um, you're just genetically predisposed to breast cancer um or and like ovarian mm-hmm. cancer or cervical cancer and it's just you could pass it down to your kids and um a lot of women that test positive for the BRCA gene yeah. um their insurance will cover a preventative double mastectomy a preventative hysterectomy uh even before you're diagnosed with anything um which a lot of women actually do they choose to do so kind of let's like go back to the genetic testing. Who essentially gave you that idea to do one? Was it breast surgeon? Did you know that you had to do one yourself? So when I went to see my breast, my breast surgeon for the first time, uh, she wanted to run one immediately. Uh, so I did um, a blood test right at the hospital that day. Yeah, and one of the things I I would mention is. When a breast surgeon wants to do a genetic testing, um, you know, they want to make sure that you don't have any of these genes, but also they will be asking you questions, whether you have like family history, but also if there is anything else that you may have that could detect that you could carry like 
breast cancer too. So I think there's a gene called like TP53. I don't know if you were tested with that, Shauna. It was just BRCA1 or 2, right? No, I was I had a full genetics full genetics. So they tested me for like 77 different I think it was 77 right. different cancers for the BRCA's. Um I I was tested for basically everything. Yeah. So um you know, you just need to like talk to your doctor about that because depending on if your insurance cover it, it could be expensive. But yeah, that's just something to note there. But um, yeah, it's it's really good that you did the test. Yeah, definitely. And the um, breast surgeon's uh, office, they like called my insurance company. Like they totally called and made sure it was covered before they ran it too. Because those tests can cost you up to, you know, five grand. It's really, really costly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the positives about, I, I like about the genetics panel too. Cause I did, I was, um, I did have some family history. I, my mom's sister, my maternal aunt, um, was diagnosed in her mid forties and she ended up going into remission. And then a few years later, uh, it had metastasized to her bones and, uh, I think it was bones liver and then brain at the end and and uh she passed away at 52 and this was how, like, that how was many years 2012 ago? she had passed away okay and then was probably diagnosed five okay. years before then so yeah so okay. um so i had some family history and i have a lot of family history of um like lung cancer and prostate cancer in my family so you know, it was definitely great to get that and kind of rule out any other. I wasn't predisposed genetically to any other cancers, which is like really kind of like it. It was really like nice to hear in a weird, <laughs> in a weird way. Um, but also too, it was kind of like okay, well, if this isn't genetic, then like why did this happen to me? So that's the next question that everyone wonders about. Yeah, you know, and I grew up on Long Island and there's a lot of cancer, uh, you know, the, the numbers, the cancer rates on Long Island are very high. Um, basically I think too, like we, I, I grew up legitimately right next to a farm. Like it was an old potato farm. And my mom Mm -hmm. always said like the old pesticides that are, that were used like in the ground, we had well water growing up. Like it could be that, you know, or it could just be, it could be anything at this point. I live in New York City. I live in a pre-war building. It's it's something that's in this building that's making this happen to me. Or, you know, that that was where it was kind of like really hard after getting my genetics. Like I, yeah. you know, I did have an ATM mutation on my genetics test, but they don't have enough um, information on it. You know, they don't know if that is the cause mm-hmm. of it or not. And, you know, the more, you know, the more science learns about DNA, uh, I can get a call in another 20 years and they'll have information for me. They'll keep a sample and let me know, which is like nice, but you know, just kind of like, why, why is this happening? Yeah. And I guess like kind of focusing on, you know, your family or friends, like when you found out you had breast cancer, did you tell them right away? Did you wait a few days? Did you had other people tell another person like what was going on with you like you know what, what so I there? had um my boyfriend who 
who knew I was going in because he took me to the appointment. Um, and I had two other friends. I had, um, one of my friends is, a, she's older. She's 50 now. Uh, her mom and her sister both passed away from breast cancer. And she tested okay. positive for a gene mutation. So she was actually able to get a preventative mastectomy at 30 years old. So she was a great source of information for me. Like, nice, just, you know, about everything, you know, the biopsy, that's the friend that I, you know, had spoken to about, you know, the biopsy and she gave me a lot of information just about, I mean, kind of everything. And, um, what a great resource. Yeah. Her, yeah. And her sister was like on the clinical trial for tamoxifen like years and years and years ago in the nineties, which is, you know, kind of. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So she's very knowledgeable. So I had asked, um, you know, her, a lot, you know, before and kind of confided in her while I was going through this, but I did not tell my family. I didn't tell my siblings. I didn't tell my dad or my stepmom. Um, I kind of was like, if this is something I want my confirmation before I start telling anybody, you know, I don't really want to scare anybody. And then I don't want anybody to scare me. (laughs) So, um, I kind of handled it like very privately in the beginning. And then I ended up telling my dad after I got the biopsy just because um, when the the radiologist came in and told me that it could be cancer, I kind of felt like, okay, I need to, I need to tell mm-hmm. him now. Um, but I didn't want to tell, especially my sister. My sister is uh, 15 months younger than yeah. me. And I just, she's got we all we come from a family of like high anxiety (laughs) and I just didn't want to scare her especially so I did tell my dad and my dad ended up telling my aunt and then my aunt ended up telling my cousins so people ended up knowing before my like sister my brothers knew which really upset me and then um my dad kind of like pushed me to tell my sister before I was ready to tell my sister mm-hmm. and that kind of upset me so after that part I was like okay I I'm taking a little break from dealing like having to tell anybody and having anybody give me an opinion on how I need to tell anybody yeah. else so uh, yeah my dad goes putting time out for <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's really difficult time for anyone just where you know you've got this information this horrible information about like your diagnosis and now you need to tell people but you're already like exhausted and you don't want to like inform everyone because you don't want them to freak out the same way as you do like if like if they freak out even more that's like so unhelpful (laughs) But you can't really, um, yeah. So I guess changed like the way that they could react because you know many people react like very differently. Exactly. So you know, I did tell my sister. Before, that was like the first sibling that I told. I told my sister, and she cried. So then that really made yeah. me cry. Um, I called like my oldest, bestest best friend that I've known since I was five who lives in California and I told her and she got very upset and she was like also very pregnant (laughs) at the time that this is going on so I think like 
you know, there's a lot of hormones and emotions yeah. going on there. So she started to cry. Um, and then I told, I forget, I told another person and then they really cried too. Oh, I, it was another friend who lives on the other side of the country as well. And she got very, very upset. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, like I was, I expected these types mm-hmm. of reactions. Um, and I expected my emotions to come out after hearing how emotional they got. Um, but then I also was like, okay, like, I feel like I'm kind of comforting this other person now and not like in a bad way, but it was kind of like, this is a lot. And now I'm, I'm comforting uh, like all these other people, my dad, my sister, my friends. And I wasn't like, I wasn't upset or anything by it, but I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to shoot texts now. And that's how I told the majority of the rest of the people that needed to know. That's probably like the best method. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, it was so much easier. It was so much easier, you know, because then like the initial shock of it, I think was, and I, I also like not made it funny, but like, I was like, I have some news and I, everyone's like, you're pregnant, you're engaged. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> wrong and wrong. But no, you know, so I kind of was like, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because <laughs> you're like, no, yeah. I have the worst <laughs> news ever. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's not good news. I said, I have news, yeah. not good news. <laughs> um, so, you know, it kind of was like, I did like shock a few people. I don't know. I, I, it was, you know, but it was definitely easier. So then from there, um, anybody else that found out, it was, I had uh, two of like my oldest, closest friends did a GoFundMe, you know, to kind of like help me out with medical stuff. And so that was plastered all over social media. Um, Yeah, I think, I think that's very important to outline, like, especially since, you know, your insurance, you know, if you have like a huge out of pocket maximum, or your deductible is pretty high, and there may be some services that, your insurance won't cover like it's it's really beneficial to do the GoFundMe and I think like your friends doing that for you is is very special and and you can obviously tell that they really cared about you oh my god yeah it it was so nice and like I didn't imagine you know like I mean it was it's kind of nice too like people that I never would have thought like would donated like who you know like would have you know they ended up donating and some people donated a lot. And it was like a really nice sense of like, wow, like people are kind of rooting for me and, you know, they care and just want to help me out. And it was like a really nice feeling on that, but it was also kind of nice to not have to like, again, like everyone just Mm -hmm. kind of found out all at the same time. And I didn't have to be the one that did that. And I didn't have to put like a private post Mm -hmm. announcing that I had this or had this stuff, you know, like, I don't know. It kind of actually was a lot easier for me that way. Yeah, I think it it could take a toll on you when you have to relay the information over and over again to like different people. And the C word is a very scary word for everyone. Yeah. And then a lot of too, like people, a lot of people don't know what to say. So then the stuff that flies out of their mouth is just like, not offensive, but not like, you don't I like, they don't know what to say and then they say something and then I don't know what to say. Like, it's like, oh, I know my aunt died of cancer. And it's like, 
okay, sorry, sorry about your aunt. I don't even like know what to say to that. You know, like, like, you know, everyone just immediately is like, has just, nobody knows what to say. So the things that they do say aren't things that you want to hear or helpful or like, you know, and they mean well. So then you're just kind of like, it's just, I don't know, it's very awkward. So I was kind of happy that the GoFundMe um, kind of came out and like told everyone so I didn't have to. Um, and I, I'm not somebody that's like enjoys attention like solely on me. So it was like mm-hmm. a little, not uncomfortable. I just felt like a little out of sorts. Cause I just not, not used to having like a million and one people reach out and like, you know, it's like a lot of money and like, you know, it's just kind of, it, you know, it was very humbling, but very not uncomfortable. Cause that's not the word. I don't know. Just, I was a little out of sorts. I would say like, you know, in, in our previous episode, um, where we gave like our introduction, you mentioned how you always cared for other people, but not really yourself. Do you feel uncomfortable that like people were helping you I don't know if it was uncomfortable, now? but it was just so like foreign to me. It was just like, I don't, I just didn't kind of know how to deal with it. Like, yeah. I, okay. I'm still like struggling with the fact that I'm not at work taking care of other people because that's how I've always done it like I'm solely taking care of myself right now and it's just so different from what my normal life is like yeah and I think it's important to note here like when you found out you had breast cancer did you continue to work I had gone to a doctor's appointment um, it was like three weeks before I found, you know, I called my gynecologist to make a, a, a sonogram, mammogram appointment in December. I had gone and got some blood work done um, and was getting my thyroid tested, actually. Like, a, I was feeling like a fullness in my neck, and I thought I was having, like, an, something going on with my thyroid, so I got blood taken. Um, and mm-hmm. I had, like, kind of mentioned, like, oh, I have to, you know, get, like, my thyroid tested or whatever, like, kind of dropped it. So then when I had to make the appointment for the biopsy, um, I did say like, I have to go get a biopsy done, but I think that they assumed, I didn't specify where or anything, but I think they assumed that it was on my thyroid. Um, yeah. So when I came back into work, I, I couldn't lift for, um, two days. They told me not to lift anything. And I watched at that time she was, uh, 19, 20 months. So, um, she was 20 months. So I was, I had to say, I can't lift her into the crib. Mm -hmm. I had a biopsy done on my, on uh, my chest and, you know, they didn't really ask questions, but they asked me if everything was okay. And I was like, yeah, just like getting something checked out. And I kind of like really kind of played it cool. Um, I was also very nervous because, uh, my Mm -hmm. current boss is pregnant. I'm a nanny. So, um, I didn't also want to scare them and I had just started with them. So that was like a little nerve wracking for me of like not knowing how they're going to react and, and, and really loving this job and not wanting to lose this job. And, you know, I, I kind of kept it really quiet until I knew the full results. And then I knew what my plan of attack was because, um, I wanted to be able to give them all the information and then also give them like the amount of time I would need to take off for, for what was going on. Um, and kind of the whole thing. So I, I waited um, a few weeks and then told them, um, you know, like I was going to have surgery um, in March. And I told them, you know, that I have breast cancer. And my boss was so sweet and she she cried. She just felt so awful. And, and they were so supportive. And they were like, you, you know, 
you have a job and you, you know, we'll figure it out and, and don't worry. Like, I don't want you to like worry about this, like focus on your health and focus on, you know, figuring out what's going on and, you know, we'll figure it out. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, God. (laughs) One last thing to worry about is, am I getting a paycheck every week? Am I still like keeping my job? Like that is something that I would say a lot of people, um, you know, like worry about because you want to pay your rent, you want to like pay your bills. The one last thing that you want to worry about is not able to keep your job. Yeah. And I just, I really like love this family and I wanted to stay on and I just didn't want, you know, I didn't want them to find somebody else. And then I didn't, you know, like I was, I just like really wanted to stay with them. Like, and that was like one of my biggest things. I, I kind of, I really like almost obsessed over it in the beginning. You know, I was kind of like, I don't want to lose my job. Like, how can I do this as efficiently as possible, still be able to work? That was also part of my struggle waiting for the biopsy, like the full biopsy results for the HER and for the HER2 results, okay. because I was like, HER2, her it's a year of treatments, a full year of, you know, infusions and things like that. So, you know, I was like, really, I couldn't make a plan until I had that and then was obsessing over wanting to keep my job and wanting to have all the information and, and, and then have a plan and to present them a plan uh, on how I can make this work. And, you know, so that was really, you know, that was tough. Um, yeah. And then, so once I, but you were like relieved after yeah, when you explained I was, to them. Yes, yeah. I was relieved. And then um, I had spoken with them, like it was like beginning of February and, my boss was just getting more and more pregnant. And, you know, they said, we want you to fully focus on your health. Like, you know, you have a job, you know, like you, like, you know, you are going to, you know, we want you to fully take care of yourself. We don't want you to worry about having to come in here if you're not feeling good or if you're not ready or if you can't lift Lily, Lily's baby. And, you know, like they, they were just so great. So they were like, we're getting it, you know, we're going to get a temp. I helped, you know, kind of, help them find somebody and they have like a great caregiver now um that's not this is not like her full-time gig she does something else so you know she's kind of just staying with them and hanging on until I'm able to go back to work which is so nice and wow. I, you know they FaceTime and text and you know we I've seen them a bunch of times you know in my now that I'm kind of on a sabbatical right now so yeah yeah they've, they've kept in touch oh yes oh yes yeah mm-hmm. um and yeah I I almost like I can't wait to go back to work. <laughs> I can't wait. But after all of this is over, you'll be like more ready to go back to work. Yeah, I mean, when you don't have consistent appointments. I mean, yeah, every week. cancer is yeah. legitimately a full time job at this moment. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, especially in the beginning too. It's like the amount of doctor's appointments you're going to. So you're getting second opinions. You're getting you know, blood drawn, you're getting breast exams. I mean, I've had half of New York City, I feel like have seen my breasts or (laughs) my lack of breasts. But you know, it's, um, it's a lot. And then you have a recovery portion. And then you have, you know, if you're doing treatment, you have treatment and then recovery from treatment. And it's like, it is a full time job right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm grateful that I, I, you know, I could have tried to stick it out, but I mean, watching a two-year-old and then recovering from 
going through like all the symptoms and stuff from after chemo, I don't know if I could have done it. So it ended up working out for me at least. But, you know, yeah. my friends did a GoFund for me, which was so nice. And, you know, because there was a lot of things that weren't covered. My IVF, uh, my fertility stuff was not covered. That was about $13,000 just to do two rounds of egg freezing. And I mean, it, it adds up the amount of co-pays mm-hmm. and the amount of, um, you know, hitting a deductible and s- surgeries and then everything that even the surgery, like the, the amount of stuff that you need for surgery and, you know, it all adds up. So it, it is really nice to have that to kind of fall back on if I need it. And yeah. And it was really great because I told everyone and I didn't have to. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And then um, let's kind of like go back to the pathology report, if you remember, but like, you know, they mentioned that it was ER, PR positive, but did they tell you like the grade level, um, your staging at that time? So at that time, they had told me um, there wasn't a grade. I didn't get my grade until um, the pathology from my double mastectomy came back. Oh, I yes. see. Yes. Okay. Um, so the they staged it as stage two based solely on the size of my tumor, which was they had measured five centimeters on um, the sonogram and mammogram based on size. Yeah. Uh, once I had my mastectomy, it turned out to be more like six centimeters. And mm-hmm. at that point, then it was stage two, grade three, once I got mm-hmm. the pathology report back from that. So- You found out your grade level until after you had your surgery. They did not give me my grade level um, during my biopsy. That didn't come until after um, Mm -hmm. I had had my surgery, my double mastectomy. Yeah, that's interesting because I knew my grade level before. I'm curious as to why you didn't have that. I'm I'm sure like every clinic is different, but. I guess they weren't like really sure probably. I was told I wouldn't get my grade until I had had um, my surgery actually. So I had knew that I knew that before going into it. Um, and based on the MRI I had had um, after I met with the breast surgeon, it showed no lymph node involvement. So that was, that was great. The, you know, there was nothing there. And uh, you know, they, they did give me a stage. I was stage two once I met with the breast surgeon, but that was mostly based off of the size of my tumor, not, you know, anything else. At one point, like, you know, during that early stage, you know, when you found out you had breast cancer and then, like, you know, when you had to meet with your doctors, like, was there any, like, shock moment that you had? It's funny. I think my shock value at that point was like at an all time like low that I mean literally at an all time low like there's nothing anybody could have told me that blow my mind to be honest like I I think like you have cancer is about as big as it gets I guess um so anything from there on nothing was Mm -hmm. like mind-blowing to be honest and I think too I I was in a very, almost like a fog, like a major brain fog, like going into appointments and hearing things. And I would like not black out, but like 
I'd leave the room and be like, I have no idea what just happened. Like if I didn't bring my boyfriend with me and write notes, I would literally get in the car mm-hmm. and be like, I, I don't know what happened. What was said? Can you like recap that for me? Um, I had a really hard time retaining information even outside of doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I met with the oncologist, I had talked to her mm-hmm. and, and I asked her, I said, you know, is, is, is like brain fog, like a part of this, like, is this caused by cancer? And she goes, she said to me, she said, Shauna, she's like, your brain is in shock. She said, your brain is trying to wrap legitimate, like wrap your head around the fact that you are, you have cancer. She's like, your brain's in shock. And she goes, and that's why you're in, you're having a brain fog. Like, this is why you, you're not retaining anything. And I was like, okay, like, so this is not like a symptom of my cancer. This is a symptom of finding Mm -hmm. out about my cancer, you know? Um, So there was nothing that I think anybody could tell me that was going to get a major, major reaction out of me. You know, once I picked my, my breast surgeon, I've, my oncologist is legitimately on the same floor as my breast surgeon. She took my insurance. They found her for me. I went to meet her. She was great. And you mean your medical oncologist? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I go to NYU uh, Perlmutter. So it's a cancer center. Mm-hmm. So uh, my oncologist and my breast surgeon are legitimately on the same floor. I go nice. to, chemo, you know, my chemo is in the same building. Mm-hmm. Everything is all in one building and it's amazing. And, seamless experience uh, I'm not kidding I I love I love it there um my experience has been so amazing so um from there my surgery date was set and I mean that was kind of from you know mammogram sonogram to to that moment uh it was about I mean two months it was about a little under two months from from beginning to not end, but the beginning of the mm-hmm. end, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really, that's my story. And, and, you know, if there are anybody that's going through this right now that, you know, is having a hard time, you know, it is a lot of information. It is a lot of emotions. It is a lot of it's a lot of everything to process and just be patient with yourself and just be, you know, patient with the process. It's long. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of appointments. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of trying to figure out what's going on, but you know, you'll get to a point eventually that everything is set in stone and you'll know your plan of attack. And it's not like the devastation does wear down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone's experience is different for sure. So, um, you know, like everything that you read online may not happen to you. Um, but just, I guess, be aware of, you know, everything, like every type of like side effect or like surgeries and chemotherapy and whatever treatment plan that you have, just always ask your doctor questions. The Facebook group is like definitely helpful to just get an idea, but I would definitely say like refer to your doctor with any medical questions that you have. Always. Always. Definitely. Yes. Uh, Stay up with MD. Yes. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) 
<laughs> until you get your until you get all get all of your results, stay off WebMD. Yeah. Um that's that's my advice. <laughs> Our next episode I'll be speaking about my story and then with the next few episodes we'll be talking about you know our just entire plan um what was it like to you know go to our appointments uh, what type of questions we've asked any lifestyle changes we'll be talking about you know our IVF process and our chemotherapy sessions that we've recorded like voice memos with which is going to be I think really raw and an unfiltered moment for sure but um, we are happy to know that you're listening in and we hope that this helped you know in some way to listen to like someone else's story and to guide yourself if you're currently in like the early process of your diagnosis and how I process things are not how everyone else does you know it's okay to be upset and be borderline hysterical at certain points. This is devastating. It's traumatizing. There's so much emotion that goes into it. And again, everyone has a coping mechanism and defense mechanism that gets them through. And um, this is just probably mine. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm excited to hear your story next week. And yeah, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. Sharing our stories with you has been incredibly healing for both of us, and we hope it helps other women in their journeys through breast cancer. Ladies, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends. Help us reach more women by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at tyftspodcast. Our email is tyftspodcast at gmail.com. We will link any resources from the episode in our show notes.